Hello, everyone. My name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast, a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energised starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. In this week's Let's Reset the Podcast, I speak to the brilliant young entrepreneur, Shanice Mears. She's an incredible woman who is a passionate leader in the marketing and advertising industry. She's the co-founder of The Elephant Room, an agency which helps companies to build inclusive brands. In our conversation, Shani highlights some of the disturbing insight into the continued lack of ethnic minorities still in the industry today and what she thinks can be done to improve this. With this in mind, we discuss her own career journey. She speaks of the stark contrast between her work life then, when in the office she was one of the only few people from an ethnic minority group, compared to her personal life, where she was surrounded by empowering black women, and how this drove her to find more ways to represent and embolden her peers. Now she spends time teaching people from minority groups to believe that the industry deserves their talent and that they deserve their positions in business and agencies. I learned from Shani some ways that I, as a white female businesswoman, can support others from the black ethnic and minority background communities, both in the workplace and in my own personal life. Together, Shani and I reflect on the colleagues and leaders who have motivated us to keep pushing to where we are today. She speaks of her empowering journey alongside Vanessa Sanyaki, CEO of Girls Talk London, who gave Shani the freedom and support to start her own community, and then importantly provided her with the empowering career insight and support to really maintain it. How Shani has handled her own personal losses and negative experiences with such grace and power is one of the very many reasons she is such an inspiring woman to me. And I therefore wanted to share some of her story with you today. I do hope you enjoy this podcast. If you do, please share, please like it and share it with your friends and colleagues. It makes a real difference to us. Thank you. so lovely to see you again how are you doing I'm great thank you thank you for having me how are you good good yeah not bad at all we've just been doing a festival or a well-being and performance festival on the beach in Cornwall oh amazing yeah it was that's great. that's great yeah so we were talking about oh lots of things like you love um we were talking about uh, inclusion about entrepreneurship around mm. well-being in the workplace we had um yoga lessons surf lessons wild walking. oh that yeah, was really cool yeah it was a good test for us to do we've never done it before so it was fun yeah I love that yeah so look we've got so much to talk about today um I first met you because you were the founder of the elephant room um but you're also very you know you are a young leader in the industry of marketing, communications, advertising. Um, you've been very outspoken and very, very much at the forefront of talking around diversity and inclusion, differences that in, in uh, the workplaces, how we need to have inclusion in communication. So, you know, we've to talk about, and that's what I'd like to kind of cover today. Mm-hmm. But let's start by talking a little bit about you and Tell, tell me where you come from. Tell me a bit about your background and your parents and the kind of childhood you had. Yeah, of course. So I'm originally from Birmingham. Um, my, I grew up with my mom. My dad passed when I was four. Um, so I am one of four and I'm the youngest of four also. Um, I would say 
I'm probably also the most outspoken in my family too. <laughs> um, um, I my my mum didn't like um like she's a first generation immigrant, so she came here from Jamaica, um, and we've always grown up with like sort of Jamaican cultural heritage in our household and stuff. But essentially, like I'd say, a lot of like my I don't know influences are still from like black British culture so I'm really into like you know just like black British music and uh and food etc um I moved to London when I was 21 um I just finished university I went to university in Coventry um I studied dance performance um I did yeah so I come from an arts background initially um and transitioned when I got to London when I took the internship in marketing um but I've always kind of it's really really interesting because the more you enter the industry and the more you learn about the industry itself you realize that this is one big ecosystem and there's a lot of crossover when it comes to like skill set I think and um when I was dancing um I was doing like a lot of events and stuff and um I was really into like you know like music fashion entertainment all of those things and I didn't realize that me being into that actually then contributed to like my also my interest in advertising and like how I saw brands showing up and certain like commercials or you know activations I'd see I'd like I'd always have an opinion on it and not realizing it was just because I was I was also into that world anyway. Mm. You, you, you've got such great strength of personality so maybe part of that's from being the youngest in the family. Um, is part of that also from having you know maybe a, do, you, do you have a close relationship with your mum what was that did that kind of drive you on to I do yeah I do have a close relationship with my mom yeah she's like my mom's like that she's like but she's like an old wise woman who you don't really want to listen to what she wants she's got to say but she's probably right so, so you've got to listen to what she's saying <laughs> yeah, yeah um and I think as I've got older I've realized that um, because yeah before when I was like really younger I just like what are you talking about like just think I, I just knew it all and then I realized yeah that's not the case mm. um, and, what about, and what about Shani um, you know I've talked to a number of leaders that had um, somebody very close to them passing when they were young um, mm. Colin Moynihan's father died when he was you know, certainly under 15, um, a couple of others. And and we know the kind of stats that show often people and leaders are very driven. And, you know, there's a a great stat that shows that a lot of politicians index with with that kind of background. You you were very young when your father died. Um, Does that have an influence on you? Do you you think that that's pushed you? Because you've done a lot very young. I think so maybe I think I think that it's funny because like with my dad's passing I think I think it was an example of you we kind of knew because he had cancer and it was something that we were aware of and it was like an overtime process but I think for my mom she just didn't know it would happen so soon so I think being subconsciously I think witness to that as a four-year-old like you see like a two-parent household obviously my like my parents were married in love all of those things and then quite quickly you see them my mom like turning to like like my dad's carer essentially mm-hmm. and then he's just not here anymore so now my, my mom's like responsible for everything and I think I think subconsciously I always kind of think like had my mom been a little bit more prepared, she probably wouldn't have felt such a burden of such responsibility. But because she just didn't she just didn't see it coming, 
she kind of was like, oh, I've got, I've got a bit more time. I've got time. And I think, I think for me, I think I, I, I'm a little bit paranoid in that sense now. Like I'm like, I'm one of those people who over-prepare. <laughs> like I'm, I'm just like, I try and get ready. I'm trying very solution-based. Like what if this doesn't work? Then what like, and I think that probably is subconsciously because of seeing what my mom went through quite like, quite quickly in terms of like you know one minute is here and then the next is not and then you have to sort of change overnight like routine how we get to school like all of that kind of stuff and I think I think I've, I've just thought oh my gosh like I just ne- I just never want that to be me but at the same time I don't know if that will ever be me so you just have to be as prepared as possible and I think that maybe that has been a, a, a quite a big driver in how I think yeah for sure yeah, I can see that. I can absolutely see that. And um, and then, I, I, you know, I like your observation around, you know, the fact that you went and did dance at Coventry. Um, mm-hmm. I had my doctorate, my honorary doctorate from Coventry University. So I feel very proud. Oh, really? Yeah. And I love, I love it that. Because, yeah. And it creates, for me, my observation about young people who have been there as a university, it's very proactive. It's very kind of like, it's a, a real kind of business orientation to it, even if it's in the arts. Um, and there's a real sense of a different kind of community. For me, it always feels like that, um, you know, because they were, uh, they're a kind of like a challenger university. So, you know, very modern. And my daughter graduated from Exeter the other day and it was lovely going to her graduation. It was amazing. Oh, congrats. Which was lovely, but it was interesting because afterwards she just said to me, you know, it was lovely. I love this mum, but it's really interesting how different it is from Coventry. You know, Coventry felt much more modern and a bit kind of cooler. Mm. And I wonder, but I love also your emphasis on the sort of super strengths that you've got from doing that degree. I did a drama degree at Leeds and I know I spent the first I don't know, actually a long time until I'd probably done my MBA, feeling like I wasn't quite bright enough to be in the industry and trying mm. not even to the industry, but just to myself, that I was academic rather than just a drama student. So it's lovely to hear from you that you don't see that and feel that at all. Maybe, I don't think, do you? I mean, I definitely had those days. I, I, think, I think it was one of them ones where... I knew what dance did for me as a person. Like I was in love with dance. Like I still am, to be honest. Like that the self-expression, the just the ability to move in time and space, I think is incredible. But like, and I think for what it did for me, especially like it, it just having something that I was passionate about. I was passionate about a lot of things, but dance like really disciplined me I was I was training it really taught me a lot about discipline and about commitment and I think I didn't realize that until again like coming into my older years I'm like wow like I'm I'm really disciplined person and then I started teaching as well and I, I tried to implement that like into you know the kids that I was teaching and stuff and they would always call me quite strict and I'd be like you guys think I'm strict like what but but I I think it was the way in which I taught and like you know the language I'd use around performance and practice and patience and all of that kind of stuff but I did often sometimes at uni because a lot of my friends were doing business degrees law degrees like my closest friendship circle my friends are like civil servants and stuff so I always felt like oh my gosh like I'm definitely inadequate in this in this space yeah but I feel like they always made me feel that like what like no what you do is so cool so I think it, it, that that's one thing that's like I've never taken for granted is like you are still very smart you've just taken a different route um and which but that what led me to also lecturing as well like you know being able to show the students that you know you can you can do something can take a different way like not everyone has the same linear um you know pathway as you and some days I definitely had that but most days I felt I felt good about being a dancer most days good good and so you should um so I guess then it was a nice reset coming down to London, finding your first job. Where was your first job? In Was it in an agency? Yes. So my internship was with an agency called Liberty. Oh, 
and then when I took my internship um it was like a short like a short course and then from that short course I went on to a six-month internship at Iris. Okay, so you're at Iris. Tell me what it was like because, you know, still, and we'll come on and talk about this in more depth, but still black women, actually any people from ethnic minority backgrounds, we still don't have enough in our industry. Mm-hmm. But I guess for you then, being a young black woman at Iris in particular, um, how did you feel? Were, were there many other people that looked and came from a similar background to you? No, not many, <laughs> not many at all. Um, I mean, I was lucky enough to, when I had my internship, I started with another intern. So I didn't really feel that alone. And we were both young black women, but then we would often share stories about being the only ones. <laughs> and it was it was a bit like, wow, like there's really not that many of us. But but then at the same time, it's so interesting because we were surrounded in our own personal lives. We were surrounded by like so many black women. So it's just like, it's not that they don't exist <laughs> clearly. So what like what's going on? And we, we could never really quite figure out that disparity. But I know for sure for me the one thing that I realized is that I've heard a lot of stories about a lot of people who do come from either um, mixed backgrounds or they're, they're black or they're ethnic minority and enter into spaces and then because there's not many of them they leave yeah. or they they choose to self-select out because they don't feel like you know that place is for them or they're gonna like thrive there or become successful there and I think the one thing I I always told myself was that like I actually I quite like advertising as an individual and I don't want the fact that I'm different or the fact that I just don't look like everybody else to be the reason why I I don't stay and I've always sort of told myself that so even though it's, it it's definitely takes a lot of resilience to be able to stay in a place where you often don't feel like you belong. But I feel like the industry deserves us and we deserve it. So I've, I'm not going to do that. Like I'm not, I, I would never walk away from something just because I feel like other people don't look like me. Mm, yeah, I can see that, which is very strong. What kind of things have you done to help build that resilience? And do you help other women around you, maybe that are black or come from a from a different background to the majority, um, to, to create that kind of sense of themselves and, and to be resilient? Yeah, I mean, you know what? It start it start for me, it always starts small and then you go on to the bigger things. So like from when I first moved to London and I I created a community called Girls Let's Talk, that was my way of saying like, I'm here, I'm open. I want to meet and greet different people who look like me, who come from the same background. I want to talk about things that I care about. And that community, like, I mean, fortunately for me, grew. And so many other people wanted to be a part of it and people wanted to collaborate, which was great. So I would say that was definitely something that in my early years I sort of held on to and really had like as a safe haven. And I met loads of people through it as well. And, and then you, how did you start that? So we'll come back and talk a bit more about the resilience piece. But how did you start Girls Let's Talk? Because you know, you talk about it, it's just like, oh, I just, you know, got a few people together. But I mean it, it was huge and did you did you physically meet? Did you do it online? How did it, how did it yeah, work? Yeah, we did physically meet. That's that's kind of what the notion was. Like when I initially started it, it was like, so I was a part, I became an ambassador for something called Girls Taught London. And that's founded by a lady called Vanessa Sanuke. And she does incredible stuff for young women. And that's like from mentoring to giving them their first opportunities to write a review or go to an event. And 
initially when I was in Birmingham, I just wanted to be a part of something. So I, I applied to be an ambassador. And then I found out that I, I got my internship. So I was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to be in London. And then I sort of just said to her, like, is there anything else I can do? She would always send me opportunities. But then I thought, wait, if I want to do something, why don't I create something to do? And then I, I went to her with an idea and I was like, I don't have a community currently, but I do want to build one. I have an idea about girls talking in a room called Girls Let's Talk. Would you support me in putting the word out? And she was just like, yeah, of course I will. Like anything to support, you know, young women. And that was it. Essentially, I, 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 I started the promo through Girls Talk London. And then when I got enough you know, people, sign-ups, and I didn't want many. I literally was just like, I told five of my friends to tell five of their friends. Like, it was 10, 15 of us in a room. And then the next time it was 40 of us in the room. Then the next time it was 80 of us in the room. And then it just it just started to build and build. And, and then people started messaging me like, when's the next one? And I was like, guys... I don't know yet I don't know like I'm just trying um and then they, they, they became this like sort of demand for conversation mm-hmm. and um and I and I just, I just was like yeah and then and then my guy friends would like come on bring us in like what is these conversations that we aren't allowed to enter like can we be a part of the conversation and I was just like you know what yeah like so then I started girls let's talk with the mandem and then the guys would come and would have great conversation about our differences and how we can collaborate and togetherness and our experiences as professionals as unilevers like as like so many different things and it's at that point Vanessa was like you built you built your own brand at this point like she was like well done and she's always been so supportive of that and I, I you know she she continues to do girls talk London and then lockdown happened and I couldn't do any more re- like you know in real life events but then I realized that actually I went through some my own personal experiences in life and realized that oh maybe I'm outgrowing this period of me and I don't know what the new me looks like, but I just know that it's something a little bit different. So I was talking to my friend over lockdown about my experiences. She was sharing her experiences and she's a lot older than me. And we come from two very different backgrounds. She's like uh, like 40 plus um uh she's uh caucasian she has like she's a mother and i was telling her about like my experiences and she was just like we should we should start something new like we should start something where we can both share our stories that and there's so so much similarities but yet we're so so different and and i was like yeah we should and then we were planning something and then essentially that's that's what we're now looking at launching and that was just that is basically about being able to share good stories and trying to see everything from the glass half full because more often than not when people share stories obviously you take what you take from that but we want to share stories with people feeling like there's still a level of hope regardless of you know what you've been through or what you feel like you're going through and and essentially that was like the foundation of where we both started like we were both sharing our stories to each other and encouraging each other to like you know stay strong and be strong etc but it was like oh like what about for the people who don't who don't have that you know who don't have that support system or who don't have that friend telling them like it's going to be okay like where do they get their you know inspiration from so that's essentially what we yeah we want to do wow. do you know I love that and I think it's so interesting isn't it what we're finding a lot now particularly with our workshops is we've gone from a period of time obviously during COVID where of course it was really tough for lots of people you know and mm-hmm. the impact of that still is 
but actually what people want is a sense of realistic you know understanding some real stories that are really authentic but also as you say positivity I don't think people want, or not, this is the feedback we're getting. We don't, they don't want to do the, look, let's have everything being full of doom and gloom. Because mm. enough of that going on, how do we have positive conversations? How do we think positively? How do we, you know, change and, and, and kind of step forward? And so I love that. And I think also for me, um, and I, you know, and I'd like to come and ask your opinion on it, but particularly from again the COVID time, from Black Lives Matter, um, I'm very conscious that I have a few black friends. I don't, I don't have that many, but I have some, and they're very important to me. But particularly during that time, you know, a number of them were very outspoken and doing, do you know what? I'm kind of fed up being your only black friend, not to me, but just to people in general, you know, so uh-huh. Andrew Reeves, who, you know, so lovely and so open, but that it's, it's almost like there's not enough people to go around. So we have to work a bit harder. And I think if we can share stories beyond our own, what we look like beyond our own kind of tribe it really helps that conversation oh yeah for sure and I think I think that's the I think because for me I think I personally think that everything starts with transparency it's about being transparent about where you're at and like you know where you're starting from and moving forward you can tell how how serious or how real someone is about wanting to be better or wanting to do better etc so like I remember you know um speaking to my my friend uh, the uh, lady and 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 she was just like oh like I feel a bit I feel a bit like helpless like during Black Lives Matter she was like I'm not not sure what I'm supposed to say like I'm a white lady of like a middle class she's like I just don't know what to say or what to do and I was just like that's okay like (laughs) I was like it's okay that you don't know what to say or what to do I don't think everyone knows what to say or what to do there's and it doesn't matter that it's because you it's not because you're white you don't know what to say it's not because like you know like we attach so many things to our identity that sometimes we forget that we're just we're just talking to people that doesn't mean that you dismiss obviously people's backgrounds or color or race or age or anything like that but it's like just start where you're at so for the few black friends that you do have check in on them make sure that they're okay you know make the conversation about them not you do you know what I mean and and start with where they're at do they need something like or do they just need a, a, a nice quote today like do you know what I mean like just start just start there and then I think and then be honest about that as well like it's okay for you to share that on social media if you want to like because other people might relate and then people might give you suggestions on what to do and then you know I think I think she did actually and people ended up sending that oh you can you can donate some money to this uh, there was like funds going and she was just like oh, people were suggesting books to read and like you know and different things to just like if you're feeling this type of way like just do this or and and I was just like well that's it just start where you're at isn't it like and I yeah. think that I think that that's okay and I think there's there's some black people who don't have very many white friends do you know what I mean so <laughs> it, it you know it, it 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 works both ways and I think that for me I I'm I I think I said it in a in another interview I did before that I, as a black British woman I'm obviously very passionate about my blackness but in general I'm passionate about people and I think that as a people we should be passionate about each other but by being passionate about each other it means that we acknowledge each other's experiences and a big part of existing in the industry is about understanding the experiences of the minor, like you know, of minorities. And I think that's all it is. It's about being able to understand that there are people out there who are experiencing a very different type of life to you because of what they look like, or because of where they come from, or because of you know what they were born with or weren't born with. 
And I think it's just important as people to acknowledge that and then to extend grace to those people or support if they need it. Do you know what I mean? And I think that's where I always sort of have my head at in, in general. Yeah, that's really, that's just so helpful, I think, because, um, yeah, then it just makes us feel like we can all contribute in one way and it's okay to not know the answers to everything. But to yeah, absolutely. This is really, really important. And, you know, I think my great friend, Dr. Yvonne Thompson, helps me all the time understand that it's okay that I don't know everything. And I guess some stuff wrong. But, you know, I love... I love working with her. I love, you know, doing stuff with Wintrade. She does lots of stuff with us with Let's Reset. But, you know, there's, there's just things I don't notice and she notices them. So that's helpful for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shani, when did you, for, you know, you obviously, you set up the girls listening and talking to each other. Um, you then set up, you know, I guess a big reset was you set up the Elephant Run as an agency with um, another founder, so a co-founder. So one, you know, there's not that many people that set up agencies anyway. There's very few people, very few black women that have set up an agency. And also you're very young. Your founding partner is was a bit more older and more experienced than with you. So that's a lot of kind of new things. What made you go, do you know what? I'm ready to start an agency. How, does, how did that come about? I don't think I ever said that. <laughs> I think that I think that's it I think I don't even think I ever said that I think I think that I was I was lucky enough to to be at Iris and for for Dan who is a co-founder just for him to I think he I think Dan likes a challenge in general to be fair but I, I was lucky enough that he saw something in me and was just like don't lose whatever that is like you know he'd tell me he would tell me like still tells me today to be fair like don't change keep your long nails (laughs) keep that you know keep keep your head wraps like everything as you see me he could he continues to tell like be be that person that you are and when you hear that I was 21 so when you hear that from really young there's a sense of empowerment that you have in yourself because you're like wow like this person looks nothing like me is very senior and for everything like that I thought he was gonna say he said the complete opposite and that taught me that I also shouldn't you know have a bias towards what uh, you know a white middle-class cis man would look at me and think because I I always thought negatively, like, oh, I don't know if he's gonna like me or da 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 da. But Dan taught me that no, that's not the case. Like I need you to be yourself and all of you needs to exist. And I think because I had that, I was okay speaking about the things I cared about and sharing the things I was doing, etc. Um and then obviously when it came down to my end of my internship and uh, him thinking about offering me a job. Although I had had, although it was an amazing experience for me to realise that, oh, actually, this is a this is a space I can work in. I didn't think that Iris was the place there where I'd build my career, though. And I think that's also okay. But Dan was a bit like, what? what? Like, you know, you don't want a job. Like why not like I thought I thought I thought we were doing well I thought we were doing good and we were but I didn't I don't think it was my future and 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 he also taught me to be empowered to say no and at that point in that conversation I felt empowered to say no so and and I think I think at that point he just proposed that we start a new business together and I was just like I mean I don't know how this is gonna go but okay (laughs) like do you know what I mean and I think I think that I think that that's important and I I always acknowledge that that I had that from quite young and now I'm like entering like my late 20s so I, I feel like as I 
like I've, yeah, I've got I'm 28 so I've got like literally a year and a half left of me being like you know in my in my 20s but I feel like I, I was I was able to experience a level of empowerment that I, actually a lot of my peers don't don't get to experience like you know in the workplace or from mentors or etc because they often feel like they do have to sort of conform or you know do do all of that and I didn't I didn't I didn't have to do any of that no that's 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 a great insight and I think you know for those people that don't know Dan Saxby he's he's I think he's an extraordinary man and I I would guess you know for me I've had two or three significant businesses that I've run um but for me Peter Cowie at Oyster Catchers was such an important part of my life for the 10 years that we worked together and not just at work and, and you know we weren't like massively friendly outside work because we just realized we spent so much work time together <laughs> we didn't want to spend all our home time together either and frankly his wife would be like really Pete um, <laughs> but you know and I love having Helen Gorman now as a business partner but for me I think that period of time was very special and I look back on it on what we achieved in a business but also the impact it had on me and my life and I wonder if it feels like it's the same for you and and having spoken to Dan before I, I know that he's learned so much from having you as a partner um, for all sorts of different reasons but if I think if you were gonna sum up what's important in that partnership because you know we've talked about being part of a community and how important that is what is it that in a business partnership you really value from that business partner I think identifying what you're good at is one of the most important things like I don't I don't do any of the like really logistical stuff because it's just not me and that's that's not that's not the business side of me that you know that was brought on to do for the agency and I think vice versa for Dan like he trusts like my instincts when it comes to culture and building teams and talent outside of like you know advertising and understanding partnerships and what's good for our agency in terms of the direction we want to take things in and he really trusts me in those decisions and I think that 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 he knows why and and I don't always know why to be honest but I know that so far I've done I've done pretty well so I must be doing something okay and I think another I think another thing is is again that empowerment piece of being able to say no because I think when you do identify what you're good at you know like your sort of lanes but then obviously naturally as co-founders we talk every day about you know what do you think of this or do you think we should do that pitch or or actually should we should we go for that client or do you think that this is something that we should be talking about and and you know sometimes you 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 think so and sometimes you're like actually no not really but you can't be afraid to say the hard stuff like you can't be afraid to have hard conversations you can't be afraid to you know to call out something if you do think it needs to be called out like and your your partner or your co-founder your team in fact should make you feel like you can do that even if it's difficult because I think the most challenging thing is challenging people and I think sometimes more often than not a lot of people don't really want to be challenged do you know what I mean and I think Dan taught me that very early on, like never surround yourself with yes men. So I think that's also really important. Um, and also I think that like the the one thing I've learned in the elephant room is that as a team and between myself and Dan, although we're passionate about the elephant room, which is our mutual, we're also passionate about lots of different things outside of the elephant room. And we both support those passions like obviously Dan's a family man he has a beautiful family he loves his children and those are things that are really important to him and and I I respect that like entirely and then for me like uh, I mean I, I don't have a family I don't have a partner but I'm really passionate about teaching I'm really passionate about my family like my mom and like my nephew's back home and he also like really respects that and I think when you can respect the life that you have outside of 
where you come together that also helps because you you never feel like quote unquote guilty for saying oh I can't do this today because I'm actually gonna you know that it's, it's okay it's cool and I think that's also just the art of balance as well um yeah I think that's that's but yeah absolutely I, I completely understand that and I feel the same and I think for me when I first started oysters with um Pete his family had grown up and left home and my two children were young I was recently divorced um and so we were we were purposefully at quite different times of our lives so physically in the office or physically at client meetings Peter would spend more time doing that because I had to be a mum as well yeah um, very much so and and Rebecca you know is an artist but she's so therefore she's around a lot more um and you know I think we we actually very overtly spoke about that at the very beginning so the business was split even though you know it was kind of my business I'd set it up I had the idea I knew what to do but Peter had the time and he had different skill sets from me and I think uh-huh. the reason it works we didn't really know each other that well in hindsight was because of that openness and that honesty yeah yeah it's very it's very it's very important yeah. I think the, the one thing that like and obviously I'm I'm still I'm still quite young and I'm I'm still learning about business and like I'm still learning about lots of stuff like you know what I mean and 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 Dan's still learning but he has a he's a lot more experience than me when it comes to just things in general and businesses in general and clients and you know when a client does something I'm like is this normal (laughs) like you know like we'll have these conversations but I think the one thing that he's also Dan has um I think for me personally he's made room for me to ask questions and not feel silly and there's a lot of stuff we talk about and have conversations around whether that be money whether that be clients whether that be how projects work where I can ask something and not feel like inadequate or not feel like "Mm, should I be asking this because he gives me that room to to just ask and he'll also give me that time to then answer or share and stuff like that and I think that's also really important especially if you're ever in a dynamic where you know that person has got either more of something than you and you feel like you know I just need to I just need to get the low down because I don't I don't know yeah, um, fine, isn't it yeah I agree yeah exactly and when did you you know because you very much as you said you, you do things outside the elephant room but um you sort of came into our world of of knowing you rather than just kind of you know, you were, you were there as a black woman in the industry by, it feels kind of quite suddenly finding a voice and speaking out, particularly through social media, through LinkedIn. Um, did you purposefully go, okay, I now need to speak out more? Um, or was there a moment in time when something happened to enable that to happen? Um, that's a good question. I don't I don't know if I purposefully said I'm gonna speak out today I think I think the only time that was really like close to my heart and I felt like oh, I, I really want to say something here is when it was um Black Lives Matter period and the pledge came out I think that that was very intentional because I, I remember reading it the night before and having so much emotion in me and I remember just saying I'm gonna write something tomorrow and I need to respond to what I've just read because I couldn't I couldn't quite comprehend it at the time and I think I think my thoughts were just like what like after all this time like this is what it's taken like how did we get had like how did we get here like do you know what I mean I was like what like and and I think I think that was very intentional like me speaking out quote-unquote but I feel like 
I've always had an urge to share. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite comfortable with, I suppose, using my voice to share something, whether that be something I'm, I'm, I'm calling out or whether that just be something I'm, I'm like, this is interesting, etc. But I think the, and I think actually mostly when advertising really sort of saw me is from that response to Adland and that that I would say was intentional I didn't think it would get as much traction as it did that's what I was going to say is then yeah you feel because it really did get a lot of traction and I think you know there was lots of people very supportive I guess there was probably some that weren't so supportive I don't know um yeah you're like what and and tell it so just for those listeners that that see what you did um tell us a little bit about what happened and then it uh, response made you feel so so during Black Lives Matter and obviously George George Floyd's death, um, a pledge a pledge came out to Adland, and it was kind of like a ten step pledge of these are the things that we can do better to support particularly Black talent, and then it was like um you know a like you know a really long list actually of um C suite and senior leaders that have have pledged to these ten I'd say action steps to be better in the the industry and when I first read it I was just like <laughs> honestly I was just like this is not real <laughs> like because I was like wait what 10 steps what I'm so confused. I was just like no this is not how we make change like we don't pledge to 10 steps like someone just died like what like I was just I was I, I didn't I didn't fully understand like why we were doing that because I was like a lot of the stuff in these steps we should be doing we we should just be doing this like no one should have to sign up to give black people jobs like do you know what I mean but I like and, and, I, and I'm not saying it in a sense where like I understand the intention so I did say that like it's not that I I thought that there was ill intention or anything but I was just like this is so serious like Black Lives Matter is such a serious thing and it's not it's not serious because George Floyd died George Floyd died and shouldn't have died do you know what I mean like that was a a, a really horrible horrible incident that happened it wasn't even an incident a very intentional thing that we all saw and it was a really horrible time for a lot of people most people in the world but for me it was about before George Floyd there were also and has been black people in this industry that have not had a great time because of them being black and you know I said it in my in my response letter like examples of people not wanting to bring their own homemade food because they felt like really uncomfortable because of the types of comments they get in the office people not wanting to wear their hair a certain way because it was intrusive and people were touching them uninvitingly and like you know people talking about the way in which people spoke or pronounced because of where they come like pronounce their name people not even pronouncing people's name just because they thought it was difficult like that's happening every day for a lot of black people changing their names on their cvs not wanting to reveal they're even black because they're afraid they'll even they'll they won't get the job in the first place like these are all things that are happening on a day-to-day basis so i'm like how did how did it take a, a person dying for us to acknowledge these everyday experiences do you know what I mean like and I think and I think I was I was trying to say in the letter that everyone has their own experiences and everyone experiences their own you know prejudice and biases and stuff from different people do you know what I mean but if, if you if you just as a as a white person could comprehend the idea of going to work every single day and being surrounded by three to 400 black people, being one of 10 white people, and being consistently asked, do I, how do I say your name? Can I touch your hair? 
like if you could just comprehend that people have lived that for probably 15 20 plus years some people have stayed in their job and that's the that's been their life and and it's like sometimes you can't even comprehend it but for a lot of for a lot of black people that is just there every day they have to prep themselves to go to work because they just know that that's it and I think that that's that at the time when I read the pledge I just felt I felt emotional for all of those people that I know that have had those experiences and I'm like oh I'm sorry that it's taken this uh, industry this long to to see you do you know what I mean and I think I think that's why like that kind of made me feel like we just need to do we just need to do better and that's I think that's kind of why it was like thank you but no thank you because we've been here and there's a lot of people doing some incredible incredible work and you know we want to continue to do that work but equally I don't think that the answer is to do a 10 step pledge okay yeah I don't I don't think that's you know and you were well one you were very articulate about it but I think also just you know those simple examples are things that well I've certainly done I've done in the past and you know I I still do about pronouncing people's names but because I want to get it right and and there are sometimes you just go well just bloody well work it out you know don't ask <laughs> all the time sometimes, you know, I, to be honest there are other names that I can't pronounce either um yeah. but, you know there are different ways of doing it you can work things out and then you can ask rather than just always asking and that's annoying and the hair thing I completely get um so if that was albeit a 10-step pledge is not necessarily the right way but there was a reset moment for for all of us I think mm. um what what has changed and what still needs to change I think there's definitely been like a change in terms of like attitude towards like hiring more people of you know whether it be of uh black people or people who are just ethnic minorities or mixed heritage I can definitely see that and I think and I think also not just at a junior level because I think we we, we talk about that a lot as like like not as much senior people are also of black mixed heritage but there's been a real push about appointing people in more senior roles who are black or um, come from ethnic minority backgrounds and I definitely see that I think there's also like a lot more transparency and openness from companies who haven't got it right. So like, I know that campaign done the, uh, the stats on how many, like how many um, people are of senior C-suite um, level and all the breakdowns. Some people submitted their numbers, some people didn't. But I think that's one step in saying like, okay, we're ready to be really transparent now about the makeup of our organization and the company culture that, you know, that we're trying to build. And I think that that also makes a, a really big difference because I think I like I said it before I think transparency is is important and starting where you're at I think that with things like um uh, uh black representation in marketing and like brim starting and all of that all of that stuff is is again for me saying to the black people that ha- do exist in the industry like I see you and we want to hear from you like what like what can we do and I think there's there's a more call out for that so for people who are in the industry they can come forth and you know they can say their experiences without feeling like it's not going to be heard or there's not going to be a change or anything like that and then I also think that I think that there's been um since 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 George Floyd and like uh, Black Lives Matter and everything, I think there's also been a con- a consistency now. Like we're not just hearing about quote unquote initiatives or programs during Black History Month. We're actually seeing it happen throughout the year. Still needs to be a lot more, but I see that it's it's being pushed more consistently rather than just during the month of October and then everything else is just not important and I think that that's that's important because we exist you know 365 days out of the year and I think 
and I think that there's also been a well I I think and maybe I'm in an echo chamber but I, I think as well there's also been a, a wider conversation about intersectionality because there's the gender pay gap there's the black Asian and minority ethnic pay gap there's the disability pay gap like we're talking more about you know being uh being gay and being a woman we're talking more about um getting mums back into work we're talking more about flexible working we're talking more about disabled access and like I feel like that is also very important because at the end of the day race is just one section or one part of the, the the conversation around diversity and yes although it is very 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 important but you can be black and be disabled and be gay you can be do you know what I mean that like you can be all of those things and you need support in different ways because we're not one you know homogenous group like we exist in very different ways and I think that that's really important but I think that we're getting better at acknowledging that as well yeah uh, I completely agree I think that's the way uh you know my observation is to is to create those all important communities uh create the kind of workplace environment where people can turn up as themselves as much as they want to um and you're not going to then start discriminating people um, in a different way, because, you know, for me, it's all very well bringing more women, more black people onto a panel conversation or into business, but it doesn't mean we have to then revert to the complete opposite, because then we have men feeling ostracized and that doesn't work either. And that's not helpful. So exactly. I, I completely agree. Uh, we're, we're almost out of time. I just wanted to just then briefly touch on your next big reset um which is when I saw you recently you went oh I'm going to move to Amsterdam I want to try yeah. a country I want to try a different way of working and clearly Dan said yep off you go so the <laughs> you're moving I mean only you Shani could just do that I, I mean I literally <laughs> oh yeah that's not a surprise uh, <laughs> tell me just very quickly a little bit about that um how that's come about and, and what you're looking forward to to doing when you're in Amsterdam yeah I mean so it's been since last year myself and Dan have been talking and I suppose for myself I have I have like career goals and then I have like my own personal goals and I think I just really wanted to change in scenery in quality of life and stuff but then equally I also felt like Dan always says Dan always tells stories about when he moved to a country and he started this business with Iris and like he has such like really great life stories and I feel like I was just like I want to be able to challenge myself in that way um I don't know what it looks like entirely but I know that I want to be able to also challenge myself from a business point of view so um I visited I like I visit quite a, a few places in Europe and Amsterdam was just I don't know was just a place I was like you know what maybe I can do it and um and then ever since I've just been having great conversations with you know potential collaborators and my thing is all about community like I love building communities so I'd, I'm just really excited to find you know like like what's what's popping in Amsterdam I don't know but I'm gonna see so yeah so I am just at the end of summer I'll be moving mm. And it'll, it'll be hopefully very exciting. Well, it's such a great, it's a great city. And Bo, who works with us, she grew up there for some of her life and was educated there. And Sam, just before COVID, who's my son, um, he went and did his drinks mixology course over there. And just, oh, amazing. And, and like you, you know, and actually I moved to Hong Kong when I was 28. So uh, it's just one of those, I think it's an amazing thing to do. Brilliant that you and Dan have talked about it and it's going to be a new chapter for you, but a new chapter for Elephant Moon as well. And I think it's, uh, I wish you absolutely all the best. And what oh, are you going you. to do to look after your well-being? I know, you, you know, you've talked a lot about the sense of community. I know it's something you think a lot about. You've got a massive oh. purpose. So community relationships, purpose are two of the big things we know in the seven needs. Um, what do you do about your sort of physical and mental well-being? Well, I mentioned before I come from an arts background, so 
I feel like I'm going to find my love for dance again. I hope so anyway, because people tell me that Amsterdam's a great city for dancing. I haven't taken a class in since since 2020 actually since the thing but I also stopped teaching then but I picked up back going to the theatre so I've been going to the theatre like quite a lot um over the past I say year and a half so and that for me is definitely like something where I just I just enjoy plays and storytelling so when I get to Amsterdam I'm really really excited to be able to explore that again and to get back into moving again through time and space i love that well shani it's an absolute joy to talk to you thank you so much for you know sharing such a varied conversation with me today wish you all the best i look forward to hearing about it seeing seeing it on instagram and um and Ah, thank you ah thank you so much thank you for having me thank you lovely to see you bye bye Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.